Welcome to season three of the Ladybug podcast. This season, we'll cover topics ranging from advanced JavaScript to networking. We'll chat about Git and GitHub, making money outside your nine to five job, and many more topics. We'll also discuss three exciting book club books this season, Outliers, Make It Stick, and Why We Sleep. Feel free to join our Goodreads group if you want to get involved in the conversation. For our first episode of this new season, we'll be reminiscing about our coding history and discussing some advice we wished we had when we were learning to code, ranging from asking more questions to negotiating job offers. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. AWS Amplify is a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack serverless and cloud-based web and mobile apps using their framework or technology of choice on the front end. Using Amplify, you can quickly get up and running with things like hosting, authentication, managed GraphQL, serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, and storage for files like images, videos, and PDFs. Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers like myself to be successful because they can use their existing skill set to build real-world full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console then allows you to use the GitHub repository to deploy a globally available CDN with CI and CD built in. To learn more, visit aws-amplify.github.io. So let's start this episode by discussing how long we've been in the industry and kind of just high level what our coding journeys have looked like. I know we've touched on this in previous episodes, but just for our new listeners. Ali, you want to go first? Yes. So I took a computer science class when I was a sophomore in college thinking that I was going to learn how to use Microsoft Word and Excel better. I thought that's what computer science was. I ended up writing Python instead, fell in love with it, thought it was magical, and then added a double major in computer science, started TAing for the uh, computer science department in my college, and then Took a C++ class the next semester, Data Structures and Algorithms, the famous one. And I felt like I did not belong at all. I stuck out like a sore thumb in the class. It was a bunch of people who had been programming their whole lives, mostly dudes, mostly very different interests than me. And one of our first assignments was writing a Sudoku solver, so an algorithm that could solve any Sudoku puzzle for us. So pretty challenging. And I was pulling all-nighters in this class, could not do a lot of the assignments and was very stressed out by it. And so after that, I decided that programming wasn't for me, that I didn't fit into the industry. But then from there, I got a data analysis job later that year when I was a junior in college and realized that I could automate my own job using Python. So I could do a lot of my own tasks at work and speed them up considerably by writing Python scripts instead of doing it manually. From there, that led into a software engineering job, and I actually left college as a junior in college in order to be a software engineer, which is really funny for somebody who quit programming earlier that year. But um, So I've been in the industry like six or seven years, something like that, and have had lots of different positions from front-end software engineer lead positions there through developer advocacy type things. And my current job is that I teach at a coding bootcamp general assembly, which is my dream job. I get to work with students all day and it's pretty amazing. Um, Kelly, you want to talk about your history a little bit? 
Yeah. So mine is pretty unconventional. Um, I wanted to learn how to code because I had a, an account on Neopets. Uh, if you're not familiar with the site, you have <laughs> a virtual pet and you can feed it and you can play games and you can kind of create your own little website, like mini pages on there and have communities called guilds. And in order to customize these things, you needed to know HTML and CSS. And so my dad bought me a book called HTML Goodies. And that was my my first uh, jump into learning how to code. So I was 11 years old at the time. Uh, when I was 14, I built my first website for a client. So it was for a hunting supplies company up in Michigan. And I got paid a t-shirt. Really good deal for him. Um, I still have the shirt, though. It's like my first dollar. So it's kind of fun. Um, it had been Amazing. used as a dust rag for many years. So it's missing a sleeve. It's super dirty. But my dad did a pretty good job of, of cleaning it up the best he could. So I'll probably frame it at some point. Uh, yeah, so I just kept on, you know, building up my my skill set through WordPress sites and MySpace layouts and building, you know, dumb little websites and blogs. I think I had a health food blog for a little while, and I didn't know how to take good pictures for it. So all the like, like if you've ever seen the um, the subreddit called Shitty Food Porn, I think every <laughs> single post that I ever uh, made on there or like on my blog should have belonged on that subreddit. Um, but yeah, so that was really most of my, my coding journey as far as learning how I never wanted to go to college to learn how to, or to be like a developer as a full-time job. Cause I figured if I, like, I enjoy doing this as a hobby, if I'm forced to do it, I'm going to grow to hate it. Um, jokes on me, obviously, but, uh, I ended up going to undergrad, got my bachelor's in psychology and I have two master's degrees in public health and clinical social work. And my first, uh, real job, quote unquote, was a fellowship at the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, they needed somebody who had their master's in public health who also knew how to code. And I was the only applicant. And I got the job. So that was cool. But it was my first time working in a professional environment as a developer. And I hated it. Probably had to do with the fact that it was like a federal company and there was a lot of red tape. And I couldn't even like I think I had to fill out a, a six-page form about why I wanted to install uh, Sublime on my computer to code. Um, it was just things like that. But I was freelancing at the same time. I, I, I freelanced all through undergrad and grad school uh, just to help pay for school because college in the States is very expensive. Um, still came out with a ton of debt, but that doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, so once my husband and I got married, I went, I, I, I quit working for CDC. I only lasted like eight months there, I think. And I went all in full time on my own. So I've been, I, I've, I've been freelancing. I've been my, I've been my own boss since 2015. And in 2017, I transitioned from being a freelancer to, uh, running a company and having employees. So now I have a team of 11. It's been, uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> Emma. Tell me about your journey. So I began by programming for Neopets. And then I, I'm just kidding. I didn't actually play Neopets. Don't at me. Um, so, but I did. Such a loss. I did code on MySpace because I thought I was super cool. I didn't realize it was coding, though, going to be honest. Um, so I basically had a vendetta against anything programming just simply for the fact that my dad wanted me to get into programming because he was an architect at IBM and he was like, you need to get into programming. You're going to be great at it. I'm like, no, dad, I'm going to quit college and go to music school, um, which I almost did. I was very close to doing that. But I ended up switching my major to computer science and business. 
Uh, and so I started actually programming my sophomore year of college, which was, oh my goodness, 2015, 14, 13, around 2013. Um, so I did about three solid years of programming with Java, MySQL, MIPS. Um, I did some front end dev. But after I graduated, I moved down to Austin, Texas. I worked at IBM for three years. I got to work on a lot of different projects. I did WordPress and PHP. I did Salesforce and their Lightning Design System. I used Vue.js and built a quantum computing site. And then three years after I began at IBM, I ended up leaving and I moved to Germany where I worked at LogMeIn. I worked on the product team for GoToMeeting for a year doing React, Redux, and TypeScript. I A year after where I'm currently at now is I build design systems using React and I've just accepted a job offer with Spotify in Stockholm where I will be going back to React Redux and TypeScript and I am very excited about it. So that was my high level career journey. Um, we've all looked a little bit different, but I do think that a lot of our advice is going to be the same. Um, I struggled for a lot of my career, like the first three years of my career, I feel like I cried at least once a week. Um, because I simply didn't know what I was doing. And I was told many times that I just needed to get my shit together or I wasn't going to succeed. Well, guess what? I did get my shit together. Um, so thanks. So today we're here to talk about all the things we wish we had known when we had started our coding journey. So Allie, what is your first piece of advice for our listeners? I think the first one is to find a community of other programmers. I definitely did not have this at the beginning of my career whatsoever. I only had this a couple years in when I started going to coding events in D.C. I started by volunteering at Django Girls, which is an amazing program where you learn Django, which is a Python framework. And that was my first ever tech event ever. I was like volunteering at it, teaching other people. And I loved it. I thought it was so much fun that I could help other people and in a way that I hadn't had for myself. And so from there, I started going to more and more events and becoming more and more involved in the coding community was huge for my career, especially the online community, which I learned more about even further down the road. But Things like Code Newbie and Dev2 and even you all um, have become my coding community. And it's been really, really awesome to have that and have a support system of other people who just like talking about coding things. Nice, nice. I love it. Kelly, we're part of your community. That's so cute. Oh my God, community. Yeah. Um, (laughs) How about you, Kelly? What's a piece of advice you would give? One of my absolute favorites is don't code all the time. Take breaks. Uh, yeah, it's really easy to to get sucked into whatever it is that you're working on. And, you know, you have this issue you're trying to solve. And it's just like, I'm just going to keep on at it. I'm going to keep on trying to fix it. And then three, four, six hours pass and you're still staring at the same issue. One of the best things that you can do to solve technical issues is to walk away from the issue and come back with a fresh mind. So, that's absolutely one of my favorites. And also just not only in the sense of of solving problems, but just take breaks in general. Like you just don't have to be coding all the time in order to have a successful career. You can have other hobbies. You should have other hobbies. This is so true. And it's so true when you're learning as well. I think people are tempted to just take a whole Saturday and the whole entire day code the whole entire time and teach yourself a new framework. But you actually learn much better if you 
do spaced repetition in your learning where you learn something for an hour and then you step away from it for a while and then you come back to that thing for another hour, your brain goes into what's called diffuse mode and that allows your brain to make the connections between different topics that you know. And so Taking breaks, it sounds like this ushy gushy thing, but it's actually how your brain works and it's brain science. So it's so important. Brain science. Brain science. I think this is a good time to also plug our episode, Learning How to Learn from last season as well. This is the thing that I totally nerd out over. So sorry. <laughs> We're also reading Make It Stick this um, season for our podcast. So you should definitely follow along. It's all about learning. Is Ali's pick because Ali is an amazing teacher who likes to teach people how to learn. 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 How to, learn. <laughs> how to yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. I'm also doing a keynote on it this week as as we're recording this. So I'll link it in the show notes as uh, when this um, show is out, it will have been out for cool. a while. So, Emma, what is your first uh, piece of advice? Hmm, wenn du die Antwort nicht weißt, Frag. <laughs> wow. What does that mean? <laughs> um, wir können die ganze Episode in Deutsch machen, wenn du willst. Um, I am so impressed. I'm so confused and impressed, <laughs> but more confused than impressed. <laughs> uh, I wish I, I want to speak German more often because I'm leaving. So I really I'm going to miss it. I'm going to be honest. Ugh. And like naturally now that you're like I I. I know you've been learning German for quite some time now, but that sounded like as a non-German speaker whatsoever, except for like asking, do you speak English and saying no, um, that sounded really great. Yeah, I've been in Deutschland seit zwei Jahren and I zog nach Sweden. I don't know how to say Sweden in German, but you know. Yeah, meine Katzen sind jetzt Deutsch. This isn't okay. This is not a German episode. I actually had to remind myself to speak English again. Um, okay, so what did I say in German? Um, wenn du die Antwort nicht weißt, nicht weißt, that's hard to say. Frag. Uh, it basically means if you don't know the answer, ask. Um, the caveat here is you should at least try to solve the problem before you ask a question. Um, because I made this mistake a lot in my career where if I didn't know something, I would simply ask. I wouldn't even do a Google search. And this really hindered my relationship with my coworkers, but it also prevented me from learning and learning how to learn, essentially. So if you're stuck on a problem, first try to figure it out. Write down, you know, this is, goes back to how to problem solve. Um But at least write down the things that you've tried and try to figure out why they didn't work. And if you've spent, I don't know, 20 minutes trying to solve something and you're stuck at that point, just ask a coworker because you have to remember um, that the amount of time you spend on something, like at a certain point, you should just ultimately ask someone if you're stuck. Um, this is my personal opinion and this is what works for me. Um, but I at least always try to figure out the answer first. Um, and also... If you're hopefully that you are in an environment where you do not feel scared to ask questions, all questions are good questions, in my opinion. And there's never a dumb question because if you don't understand something, there's a, a break in communication somewhere. Something broke down. So it's not your fault for ever having a question. Agreed. I think it's so important to foster this skill. I am was so bad at it early career. And I think I still am not the best at feeling comfortable asking questions. I, I think a lot of that comes down to 
potentially like being the only woman usually in the environment is you don't want to look at like the person who doesn't understand things. And that was something that I was really, really afraid of early career, but it's naturally like you have to ask questions and it's something that everybody has to do. If you're stuck on something, you're wasting your time and you're getting frustrated and you're probably not learning if you're, um, at that point of frustration. So it's so important to be in a situation where you can ask questions. Um, And there are so many people, if you're in the learning process, so if you're not a professional developer yet, there are so many forums online that you can ask questions on. So Dev2, Twitter, sites like that are really great for asking questions if you're not in a workplace yet. Those are more approachable than Stack Overflow for me. Same, same. Mark just duplicate. (laughs) (laughs) Figured it out, closed. Um, I've never asked a question on Stack Overflow. It terrifies me. I did. I don't know if I, I got yeah, any responses. I, <laughs> anyway. Wow, here. Gutsy. Um, okay, cool. We're back to Allie. We're just going to keep doing round robin over here, which is, <laughs> wow, that's that's round a robin. systems design, cash eviction policy, load balancer solution. So we're going to round robin it back to Allie. Wow. That's a lot of words. Um, <laughs> another big one is imposter syndrome. So I quit coding because – I thought that I didn't fit into the industry and that I wasn't very good at it. In the beginning of my professional career, even once I had made it into the industry, I still thought that I was awful at coding. I thought that they were really just being nice to me by giving me a job and that I was a, a total noob and um, tried to stay keep to myself as much as possible so I wasn't bothering anybody. And that's imposter syndrome. And so many people in this industry deal with it because there's so much out there to learn. Nobody can ever know any, everything. And there's this danger to compare yourself to other people and feel like you're an imposter in the industry. And so I think overcoming imposter syndrome or at least making progress on it is really, really important. So we have a whole entire episode on our tips for overcoming imposter syndrome, but I will give a piece of advice here, and that is to track your wins. So have some sort of document where you keep track of awesome things that you're doing and your progress in it. It'll be really helpful for your career itself, but it's also great for overcoming those imposter syndrome thoughts that you may have. Totally. It's 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 something, it's very important to note that this is, even as you progress in your career, you can be very much, very senior and still be experiencing imposter syndrome. Like it is a very, very normal thing. Yeah. And the more that we talk about it, the more normalized it becomes as well. So my next piece of advice is sharing your learning journey can help not only yourself, but others too. It's important to remember that wherever you are at in your learning journey, there's somebody else who can learn from you. Even if you're starting from scratch, what are the tools that you're currently using to learn? Even sharing the courses that you're doing or, you know, I really like free code camp or something like that. That will help somebody else. So sharing your learning journey is going to help others. But also the more you talk about what it is that you're learning, um, when you figure out something cool, you're like, hey, something clicked. We, you know, people want to celebrate those wins with you. And it's a, it's a, as, as Ali was just talking about, you know, having the, like the wins log, however you want to uh, phrase that or however you want to put it. Um, it's these types of things that, that are really great to reflect on in your own learning journey. Totally agree. I think I've recognized the fact that my learning journey, especially when it comes to learning foreign languages, which you just heard me speak German, I'm now going to be learning Swedish. 
I personally enjoy sharing that with the world, but I've got to be honest too, that that's really hard for me because I do get feedback sometimes of people saying I'm wrong or there's a better way to do it. And um, so, you know, there are upsides and downsides to doing that. But if you're comfortable sharing publicly, it can definitely help people. Yeah, I so agree with that. And it's something that I struggle with, too, is I want to put all these things out into the world that show that I'm knowledgeable about topics. But also sharing the things that I'm not knowledgeable about is super helpful for people who might be comparing themselves to me or looking at me and being like, oh, she has a bunch of followers on the internet. She must know everything. Like, I definitely do not. And sharing what I'm new at, I think, can be helpful for people. But it's a really, really hard thing to do. So we're not trying to undervalue that at all. Mm -hmm. It's something that is, is challenging for us still, too. For sure. I think my next piece of advice is just surround yourself with people who support you. When I was beginning my career, I, and not even just my career, but in college, like I got so much feedback from people like, oh, you'll never make it in this industry or you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And I recognized quickly that I needed to surround myself with people that lift me up and not tear me down. So I'm kind of more selective with the people that I kind of like let into my inner circle, I guess, just through being burned in the past. But if you don't have people around you that support you, try to seek out those who will. And that can be really hard, especially if the people that you're closest to are tearing you down. That's not healthy. And so I would try to seek out if you're able to seek out a community that is willing to support you. I would say like, Kelly, I think you'd mentioned Free Code Camp. Everything they're doing at Free Code Camp everything they're doing with like Code Newbie, they have a great community and people are generally very accepting and very supportive over there. So if you need support, I would highly recommend those two communities. Those are great ones. Another big one that I talk about a lot is getting stuck in the cycle of tutorials. I don't know if any of you did this, but I'm completely self-taught in web development. I had some computer science background for the fundamentals, but everything web-related, I taught myself. And at the beginning, I would do like a quarter of 20 different tutorials on a topic. So I would do like the first couple steps of a Ruby on Rails tutorial and then skip to a different Ruby on Rails tutorial and do a couple steps of it or do the whole entire thing even. But then instead of actually building anything, I'd just go to another tutorial. And it was this cycle that would repeat itself. I'd never actually build anything. I'd never actually learn it. I would just follow along with tutorial after tutorial after tutorial. And I think that's a pretty common thing that people will get stuck in is it, it feels safe to do tutorials. You just are following the same steps as somebody else. You're following along with their instructions. But it's a lot more challenging to extend that and go outside of that tutorial. But that's what you need to do in order to grow. So I think getting outside of that cycle is so important and something that you need to move past in order to grow as a developer. You need to actually build the thing. Um, When you're learning how to ride a bicycle, you can read a book about how to read a bike or watch YouTube videos or something like that, but you can't actually learn how to ride a bicycle without riding the bicycle. So it's the same thing for coding. You need to actually write the code yourself and do something outside of those tutorials to really learn. It's funny because like, I completely agree. We're talking about getting stuck in it. I was like, I immediately thought of that meme of like, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. It's like, help, I've fallen into a pit of tutorials and I can't, I can't get out. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The best ads of all time. Help, I've fallen and can't fall. Help, I've fallen and can't get up. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad now that I'm saying that out loud, but they are iconic. Uh, So my next 
uh, tip is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I find that I was able to learn a lot more, even if I was making mistakes, by putting myself into situations where I didn't know exactly what it was that I was doing. I had to force myself to to step outside of outside of my boundaries uh, to to find these new opportunities. They weren't necessarily just being handed to me, uh, and that was that was definitely part of the fact that I was freelancing. And, you know, I'd have uh, people reach out, potential clients who said, hey, can you do this for me? And there are things that I had never actually done before, but I'd done something sort of similar. So I was able to kind of frame it around a, well, I've done this similar thing. I I, I can absolutely figure this out for you. Um, and, but, it, but it was putting myself in that position and not just turning it down because I didn't know how to do it. That allowed me to learn these new skills. It's the whole reason why I got into Shopify in the first place, actually. I think that's so true for learning new things in general is it's not going to feel super comfortable at first. There is this chart that's the emotional cycle of change. And normally when you're learning a new thing, it's really exciting at first. And then it becomes really, really difficult. And you feel like you're never actually going to learn the thing. Maybe you run into a bug that you can't solve. Um, But then you get past it and you do end up learning the thing. And that's when you actually are successful in it. So getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is so important. Definitely. And I think something that goes along with being uncomfortable is asking for constructive criticism or asking for feedback early and often. I wish that I was able to separate the personal from the workplace in a sense of receiving constructive criticism. So if someone provides you constructive feedback in a non-threatening safe space, don't take that personally. It's not a reflection of who you are as a person. They're generally, they should be trying to help you grow as a developer. Um, But early in my career, I would often get this feedback and I would take it personally, like, oh my gosh, this person doesn't like me. They, you know, all these other things. Uh, But really it was, they believed in me and they wanted to see me grow. And sometimes you need to hear the hard things to be able to grow. And so I think moving to Germany has made me more open to constructive criticism as they're a more direct feedback culture versus the United States. Um, You know, we typically give feedback sandwiched between two two compliments. Um, So I do think that moving to Germany has given me a, a tougher skin where I'm able to accept criticism or, you know, off the cuff, but also digest it a little bit better. So uh, yeah, my advice is just ask for feedback, be proactive about it. What can I improve, especially if you're trying to get a promotion at some point, asking for the areas of improvement versus demanding, I, w- I want a promotion saying, where can I improve to achieve this next level? Like those are really great ways to go about it. And I'm going to add another one that is super related to the two that we just did, the comfortable with being uncomfortable and asking for feedback. And that is to stop being such a perfectionist, especially in school. I was a total perfectionist. I was one of those like straight A students who was super obsessive about it and making sure that I was perfect at everything. I talk about how I dropped out of computer science because I thought that I was awful at it. Um, I got like a B, B plus in my computer science class that made me drop out of computer science. And looking back on it, I'm like, that was so ridiculous. Like, why did I think that I was awful at something? Because I got a B in it. And that was just the way that my life has been up to that point. Like a B was unacceptable to me. And so the same thing was true in my jobs. I would work 
such absurd hours and tried to learn absolutely everything. And yeah, that allowed me to accelerate in my career super fast, but it also made it so that I didn't have a life outside of work for a very long time. And so for me, um, I put a ton of pressure on myself and put pressure on myself to be perfect at a lot of things. And I think that that's really harmful in a lot of ways, especially when you're programming and you're going to hit bugs. That's part of the process. A bug is not a bad thing. Getting an error message does not mean that you're a failure, um, but early career felt like that to me. So I think stopping being a, such a perfectionist is something that I still need to work on, but it's something that I even wish that I could go back in time and told my former self even more than um, my current self. As a fellow perfectionist, I absolutely agree. And also, I just want to comment on that really great feeling when you're dealing with a certain error message and then you try something and then you get a new error message and you're like, finally, progress. Progress. (laughs) Best feeling. Uh, So yeah, my next tip is going to be document your learning journey. And the reason why I put this in there is because we tend to have a short-term memory or memory in the sense that like, We will make the same mistakes over and over again, especially when it comes to programming. And I finally found the right tools that work for me as far as, you know, not only just documenting my code, but also having some sort of record of like, here's this issue that I encountered and here's how I solved it. So when I inevitably run into it the next time, I have something that I can go back to. And then I can also, if I do it, encounter it again, and it's not in there, I know that I need to actually add it in. Uh, I personally use Cacher for this. It's it's good for just storing code snippets, but you can add in like like markdown files and stuff as well to just explain certain things. So uh, I actually share this with my uh, my team and I've gotten them to start adding in their own uh, their own things that they run into and and how they solve them as well. I need oh, to do that amazing. because every time I have to undo a git commit, I have to look look up an old tweet I posted like a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Every time I want to rename a branch, like re- I I always Google it every single time. Yeah. I have a repository on GitHub that's knowledge, and it's just my notes that I take on things. But your process seems even more organized and amazing. So, um, very excited. Highly recommended. I absolutely love it. What's the app's name? Casher. Casher. Yeah, we'll link it in our show notes. I need that link now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. So kind of alongside of this, documenting your learning journey is learning how to Google. So if you're stuck on something, understanding the way to search for your question is going to be really important. The more specific you can be, the better. Um, and understanding if you're going through Stack Overflow, which can sometimes help you fix your bug. Maybe sometimes it doesn't, but understanding what posts are going to work for you or what answers are relevant to you is going to be really important. I didn't know how to Google for the longest time because sometimes you just don't know where to start. Sometimes you don't know how to describe your problem or what to Google. So maybe at that point you can, if you have a coworker who's willing to pair program with you or rubber duck with you or mom program at that point, maybe you can reach out to them for help about how they would go about debugging a problem. I think that's one of the the absolute best skills that you can learn. And it's something that you learn over time. It really is. And I, I made a joke tweet about about it recently um, where I, you know, Googled the specific error message I got and I got no results. But when I actually Googled just the general problem that I was having, I was actually able to find the solution. Oh, wow. Um, 
One Google tip that I learned recently is that you can do like a greater than a date and then you can only get Google results from that time or more recent. So if you only want to get results from like the last three years, you could do greater than um, 2018 or greater than 2017 and that will give you only results from the last couple of years, which I think is really cool. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. I usually just hit search tools and, and narrow it down that way, but yours is way faster. <laughs> Fun facts. So another thing that I wish that I had learned, and I think that this is actually more and more true now than it even was at that time, but there are different ways to learn how to code. You don't need a computer science degree. Um, having a computer science degree is awesome and can be really, really helpful for your career, but there are self-taught developers. There are people who go through boot camps and are very successful, and I think that that's awesome. There's different ways for different people to learn according to their learning style and the things that they want to know and the time period and budget that they have. So there, you don't need to go back to college to get a computer science degree to become a software engineer. And I think that that is something that I wish I knew sooner. Completely agreed. So one of the things that Emma wrote down that I am now <laughs> going to be discussing is try to be honest with your manager. Now, I have a, a team of developers who all have different uh skill levels and various programming languages. They all have different interests. And one thing I try to get out of them as early as possible in the, you know, in our journey of working together is what exactly is it that you're interested in? What do you, what do you want to learn? Where do you feel that you're weakest? And I use these kinds of this this honesty with me to kind of frame the projects that I'm giving them, giving them the opportunities that they need to, to learn. Like if you need to learn more CSS, I might, you know, send you over to a front-end master's course and then I'm going to assign you to a project that's going to be lower stakes, like maybe our own website where you can take your time to learn and apply the concepts under, you know, no pressure under a deadline. Uh, if you're stuck on something, talk to your manager about it. Like the, the earlier you're, you can you know, you're running into this, this roadblock, the earlier you can actually come to your manager about it, the sooner they can do something about it. Your manager, theoretically, should be there to help you grow and help you learn. And that honesty is going to, you know, that, that transparency is really going to, to improve the, not only your time working with this company, but also just your own growth in general. I mean, I was just going to say, like, don't lie to your managers. That was, like, my advice. But no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, my, I was thinking more along the lines of like, if you're unhappy doing a certain specific task. So when I started at IBM, I got put on an accessibility project, which I learned a lot about, but it just wasn't my passion. And so I told her, my manager at the time, I'm really happy to do this role, but I don't want to do this full time forever. And opening that conversation or telling, you know, your manager, hey, I just don't feel like I'm adding enough value here. I would like to look for something else, different kind of role, something like that. Um, that's the best kind of thing. Those conversations are hard, but they're very important. So true. I've had a lot of those conversations recently as well. Yes. <laughs> so one of my other pieces of advice is to celebrate your small wins. We've talked a lot about Atomic Habits. And, you know, it was our first book club book. And it talks about how small habits uh, compound over time to ultimately get you where you want to be. So don't overlook your small wins. If you merged a branch into master for the first time. Celebrate that. Like keep track of these things, write them down. They're very important. 
man, your first approved pull request for a, an open source project is like a really big deal. I've never had that happen. It was a really big deal for me. <laughs> I was very excited the first time. I think it was a contribution to Gatsby. That's awesome. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a good one. Another one that I wish that I had followed more, but is great advice for me now as well, is that interviewing is a skill in and of itself. And especially within this industry where interviews are kind of wild. And so interviewing to challenge yourself and to stay on top of the industry trends and what you need to know is a really great thing to do. And I think Emma's a really good example of this. Like, I learned, have learned so much about interviewing from you. And I have only interviewed a couple times ever. I've done more interviews uh, of engineers and I have participated in myself. But I really wish that I had done more interviews early on just to figure out what that format was like and do them for practice. I've never done a proper interview before. There you go. No idea what the process is like. Well, that's why I'm <laughs> writing an ebook is to, like, here's the reality. A lot of people don't have the luxury of being able to have all these practice interviews, either because they don't have spare time. Maybe they have, they're working two jobs to support their family. Maybe they have to take care of sick or elderly family members. Um, so I want to help share my knowledge about it so that they can get over the stress and the anxiety of having to prepare for an interview last minute. I'm really excited for that ebook to come yeah, out. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Your price is going to be $1,000. Oh, so you're into the value-based pricing model. I love it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> LMAO. All right, Kelly, what's your next tip? My next tip is talk to people who have your dream job. Because what you think is, I'm going to spin this. Wow. I did not mean to spin this really negatively. Um, I was going to say what you think is your dream job might not actually be your dream job, but let me, let me back up there. That is true. But I guess my, my point here is I went into running an agency without any prior business knowledge. Like I've basically just been learning on my own, learning as I go. And so I keep on having conversations with other agency owners who have a larger team, who have hired remotely, who have just been through the experiences that I have never been through before. And they can act as like a mentor for me to walk me through the process of what's next. If you're looking for, you know, a, a role at Google or you're looking for a role at Spotify, talk to the people who talk to some people who work there see what it's like to to work there what their day to day is like and if it, if that's one of your goals you can kind of frame your own learning process around what's going to put you in a better position to uh, join their team it also is good for networking for sure to be fair i did this too when i was going through interview processes i sought out people who were already working there and i kind of audited them to see how their experience was and all of this kind of stuff. But what I quickly realized is that everyone has anxiety going through the interview process that typically you would have to interview more than once to get into a company at Google. People often interview two, three, four times before they get accepted if they do get accepted. And even then often they come out of their interviews and think, oh, I bombed it. But then they get hired and then you look at them and you're like, oh, they probably got in really easily. They're so smart. I'll never get there. But you don't see their journey along the way. Um, kind of in line with getting jobs and offers, I think one of my pieces of advice is to negotiate if you do get a job offer. You have nothing to lose by negotiating. Um, I, For the most part. Yeah, I, I'm okay. I'll, I won't say you will never 
have negative implications for negotiating because I can't definitively say that. But I would say in general, like I don't believe in most countries, once an offer is made, a company would redact it if you try to negotiate. It probably has happened and I am horrified that that does happen. But I would say most of the time you're going it's going to be just fine. Either they'll give you, you know, more money or they'll give you additional benefits or sometimes they're not willing to negotiate. And that's also fine. At least you tried. Kelly, one thing you did was you posted the explicit salary on your job posting, which takes away the unease of having to negotiate, which I really appreciated. Um, But a lot of jobs don't do that. And so if you do receive an offer, do your, first of all, do your research. You can't go and asking for $500,000 a year if (laughs) for your level of experience in your location, you know, the average income is $65,000 a year, but, um, so be smart about it. Also, you can negotiate things that are not salary. You can negotiate stock, you can negotiate vacation days, things like that. I think that last part is definitely very important. If they're, if they're fixed to the salary, um, definitely continue to negotiate in other, in other ways, but never, never accept a job offer just like flat out. I've even negotiated alternative work hours. So working like seven to three instead of nine to five, because I'm normally better with those times. Oh, I like so that. That's something that you can do too, maybe. Um, another one that I really wish that I knew was that you could be a people person in tech. I am a total extrovert, like somebody who really relies a lot on social interaction. And before I was in this field, I totally stereotyped it as a bunch of dudes in basements eating Doritos um, and playing video games. And I, there's nothing, well, (laughs) I was like, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, okay, that's not who I am by any means. And I thought that I would not fit into this industry whatsoever because of that. Um, So I had this very false picture that you couldn't be a people person and do well in this industry. And I've found it to be the opposite, that actually having people skills has made it so that working in this industry has been um, much easier, but also it's been an asset to my teams that I can work with other people. And my career goal is to become an engineering manager, which is a role that works a lot with people. And my job right now with teaching people that's another role that uh, I get to interact with people all day, every day. So there are definitely roles within software engineering where you can work with other people. You're not just a silo to yourself. That is a very good one. I'm still just internalizing that one. Um, Yeah, so my final tip is don't fall into shiny object syndrome. You hear about the coolest new libraries and frameworks that are out, and you're like, I got to use everything. I need to learn everything. If it's not going to actually be helpful for your career or it's not actually something of interest to you long term, don't feel the need to, to learn it just because other people are talking about it. I, I think it's, uh, it's easy to fall into that trap of, well, everyone else is learning React, so I should learn React too. Our last piece of advice is that you belong in this industry and do not undervalue yourself. You have a unique skill set that nobody else has. You have unique experiences. You have unique stories. And that contributes to your career. Um, Even if you don't know everything, nobody does. And even if you come from an untraditional background in tech, you still can find a place in the industry and you belong here. What a nice note to end on. Let's do some shout outs. Emma, what is your shout out? 
My shout out is to Kelly for always taking horrible photos of me and posting them on the internet. I'm just kidding. That's not. Um, <laughs> so kind of going back to this theme of technical interviews, I'm currently in the process of writing an ebook about my experience in the technical interview process and all the skills you need to succeed. It'll have practice problems. It'll have, you know, um, checklists and study plans and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to check that out, you can go to technicalinterviews.dev. It should be released within the next month. And that is probably one of the most exciting projects I think I've ever taken on. So I'm pretty proud of myself. What about you, Kelly? I want to shout out to everyone who is staying home because of coronavirus, who's abiding by the shelter in place orders, who are, you know, if you have to go out, you're wearing masks who aren't, okay, I don't want to get too political here. Um, Yeah, this is a really difficult time for all of us trying to navigate uh, a pandemic. I don't think any of us were alive in, well, no, there have been other pandemics, obviously. But anyway, um, this this is a very difficult, very stressful time for all of us. So shout out to all of you, literally everybody who is making it through this. Ellie! What is I want to one-up that one as somebody who wow. had the virus. I don't know. I feel weird talking about it. But yeah, I had coronavirus and, or very early on when it was just kind of starting in New York City. And I got diagnosed with it. And so I've been especially shut in for the last while and I live alone. So it's been a it's been a roller coaster for sure, especially moving into a brand new city and then getting immediately quarantined. So uh, Girls Night In, which is one of my favorite newsletters, I read it obsessively every Friday. They made a website, stayhometakecare.com, and it has a bunch of activities to do while you're at home alone. And so I think it's a really, really great resource and has lots of fun ideas for Zoom hangouts. We did a Zoom happy hour, um, the three of us. It was really fun. So lots of different ideas out there. Out there. We did a Zoom happy hour at like 10 a.m. And there was wine. It was very early. So none of us were like really drinking hard. It was very, well, yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, we weren't. You were you were waiting on your your brunch to be delivered. Yes. It took forever. It was not ideal. Definitely. So, this was a really fun first episode of season 3. And if you listening liked this episode, tweet about it. We really do read every tweet and every review that comes in. And if you do tweet about it, I will give you a free copy of the book that I'm writing about technical interviews. So, make sure you go do that. This month's book club book is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. This was the one I picked. I was super excited to read it, and I did already read it, and I have some thoughts about it. If you want to join in this discussion and kind of hear my thoughts, um, you can check out our Goodreads book group, which we have linked on our website. And you can also learn more about our future book club books this season by checking out ladybug.dev. We post new podcasts every Monday, and next week we're posting a very fun episode about all things javascript so make sure you're subscribed to get notified and leave us a review see you next it's week. an intense one we recorded it before <laughs> this one it's intense <laughs> spoilers okay see you next week cheers bye